Romans chapter 13, beginning in, in verse 11. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. As in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Typically, this particular Sunday following Christmas, I prefer to to do a message that focuses on the new year and as we, as we approach the new year that's coming. And, and God's good providence, as we have been studying through the book of Romans, we've come to this particular text, and I find it to be exactly what the Holy Spirit would desire for us on this morning, to, to challenge us as we, and, and to exhort us, to encourage us as we approach the new year. If you've been at our church for any particular length of time, you'll, you'll notice some, some things about Reverence Bible Church. Um, one is that we, we love the Lord our God. We do. Um, when we, we talk about him as we study through his word, um, you, you'll find that, that we, we desire to, to rightly portray him through his word as supreme as one who is to be exalted, one who is to be glorified. A God who is, is sovereign over the entire universe. Um, that matters. It, it matters to us as a congregation that we rightly study God's word and see that he says things like, who can stop me? Um, I do whatsoever I will to do. Um, that there's not a, a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his will. That he, he's in control of all things. The first sermon that we ever had at this church came from Revelation where it says, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. There's a reason why that was the first sermon that we preached at Reverence Bible Church. And it's because we, we can worship because the Lord God, omnipotent, all-powerful, he reigns. He's in control. It's just critical that we see him as a God who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. He begins a good work in us, and he'll be faithful to complete it. To, to have a view of God that trusts him in the midst of the most difficult circumstances so that we would be able to say that, like Job, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I'll return. And the Lord gives, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or to say with confidence, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called, according to his purpose. To, to, to have a view of God that looks, and he's not small, he's not pathetic, he's not so frustrated and just trying to make things happen, but he can't do it because no one's cooperating with him. But we serve a God who rules and he reigns, and he's all-powerful, and he is one in whom we are to bow down to and worship with all that is within us. It's critical that we have a view of God like that. You also find that 
at Reverence Bible Church that we um, have a view of our sanctification process as far as being molded and conformed into the image of Christ, that we are a people who are totally dependent upon him. The, the effort that is made here as we preach through God's word is to, to not have the members of our congregation walk out the doors of this church thinking, okay, I can do it, I can do it. I'm going to fix all of these areas of my life. I'm going to do it, and, and, and everything is going to be peachy as we leave. And I, I, good pep talk, I can do it, you know, and because you can't. Um, apart from him, we can do nothing. It is so critical that we have such a view of God that we see that we are dependent upon him. If, if you ask me, what's man's responsibility? What's our, our greatest responsibility? And my, my response would be to, to depend on him. That's our greatest responsibility is to depend on him. And, and then when I look at my own pathetic life, I realize that I can't even depend on him without depending on him to depend on him. I can't do it. I mean, I, I can sit there and say, okay, from now on, God's in control. I'm going to give it all over to him. And then I walk out and I try to do it by myself. And, and so do you, probably. We, we, we need him to, to even help us depend upon him. Um, there's... Churches that I find to be very man-centered. And, and when I say that, I, I mean the focus is on what you can do, what you have to do. And then there are churches that are very God-centered. And it is, this is what he has done. This is what he will do. Depend on him. He began the good work in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. Um, I, I pray to God that we would become more and more God-centered as we continue. And in this God-centeredness, it is critical that we also look at passages like the one before us this morning. And with just a gigantic view of who God is, with total dependence upon Him and His Holy Spirit to work in our lives, that we evaluate our lives and see what the Holy Spirit would speak to us through his word that it might affect us. And in this particular passage, you hear him just previously talking about loving your neighbor. What it is to love your neighbor? A whole section that is dealing with I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to him, a holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. A whole section that is live for him, submit to the, your government, all of these things. But we come to a passage now saying, and do this, and do this, knowing the time. And do this, Knowing the time, the time in which you live, knowing it. That it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It is now high time to awake out of sleep. Who is he speaking to here? He's speaking to the church, isn't he? He's not saying, awake, you who are dead in your sins and trespasses. Although he does say that over and over again in Scripture. 
a calling to, to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to be saved. But it is a section specifically speaking here to believers saying, it is now high time. Note the time that it is. It is now high time to awake out of sleep. Out of sleep. And my prayer is that this would not be a time this morning for a heavy load to be placed upon you in which who can bear this load, but that it would be a time in which the Holy Spirit, knowing each and every person who is sitting in the pews here this morning, knowing all that is about you, that he would speak specifically to your heart this morning and say, awake. Because there is a possibility that there are people who come week after week to church you feel like you're okay. You look around and you see what everybody else is doing around you and you feel like things are possibly together. You look at your, your marriages. You look at your kids. You look at your workplace. You look at what things are like at school. You look at all of the things and you think, okay, it's, it's okay, it's okay. And where the Holy Spirit may be saying this morning, no, it's not okay. Wake up. Wake up. There was an incredible time in the history of our country when this took place. It came at a time when most everybody sat in the pews of a church on Sunday morning. Time there before the Revolutionary War. The Puritans had come. country was founded on just incredible Christian principles. And there were a lot of people who were sitting in the pews who were asleep. Not only were they asleep, but there were Christians who were asleep. And there were also people who were unbelievers who were there in the pews, believing that everything was okay. And it was not. The time in, 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 in the history of, of, of our country was known as the Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. There was first, second, third Great Awakenings, but their first one is one that I find to be the most significant. It fell between, um, largely between the years of the, the early 1730s till about 1743, so a little over a 10-year period of time in which God did a radical work in our country. A radical work. Universities were established, seminaries were established, churches grew in just incredible ways. People came to know Christ, and, and it was just an amazing time in the history of our country, a critical time in the history of our country. It was led largely by men like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield. Men that had just incredibly high view of God and his sovereignty. At the same time, called upon congregation after congregation to wake up, to awake, to see their sin, to see what God is calling them to, to repent of their sins and to follow him. Sermons that were preached like sinners in the hands of an angry God in which Jonathan Edwards called on, on, on people to repent 
saying you may feel like you're okay, but you're not. You're, you're hanging by a thread, and, and, and God could release you at any time, but he has not yet, and it's by his grace that you're still there, and just calling upon the people to repent. Preaching so powerful that people just literally just fainted and wept. A sermon that was printed so many times that it's the most printed sermon in the history of the world with the exception of the Sermon on the Mount. When all across our land, people read it and it, it affected them and it changed them and people came to know Christ. Revival took place, great awakening. People woke up and revival took place within the church. And for revival to take place, it needs to take place first in our lives, each one of us individually. But we also need revival to take place within our church. We're, we're reverence Bible church. We, we, we put the word reverence in it because we, we want to revere him. We want to have reverence for him. Such a view of God that, that we just desire to fall down and worship him with all that is within us. Bible church, because we teach the Bible. We go verse by verse through the Bible. We have sermons that the heart of it is, what does the text say? We sing songs that are done in a way not to entertain, but so that would stir within our hearts just affections for God and to to have it be theologically sound and we proclaim it with all that is within us to him. Desire to pray together, to have midweek Bible study where we study verse by verse through the Old Testament or to another book of the Bible and to dig into God's word. Youth ministry, they may play some games on Friday night or Saturday night or different times in the week, but Tuesday night, mm, time to study God's word, time to have prayer groups, time to have accountability, sweet fellowship together where it's genuine fellowship and they're there to exhort them and encourage them in God's word and not try to compete with the world to entertain them, but to teach the young people. The children's ministry right now are studying God's word because they, they're there to learn and to be rooted and grounded in God's word and not to be there to just be entertained but to be taught so that they would also grow up having a gigantic view of who God is. It's who we are. We, 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 we're, we're passionate about these things, aren't we, here at our church? And yet, at the same time, I think that, that God may be looking upon our church and saying, wake up. Like, wake up. Ye. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. L- love them. Wives, love your husbands. Being in a place where you're, you act one way at one place and totally different someplace else. Wake up. What is your walk like with Christ. We believe in a gigantic view of who God is, and we believe that his word is perfect and without error, and, and, and it's sufficient for all things, and yet we don't spend time in his word to just know him and to love him and to worship him. 
We may believe that God is sovereign and he can do all things and there's nothing that's too hard for him. And yet we, we fail to call upon him in prayer and, and pray that he saves people who are in our lives that are unbelievers or pray that missions takes place all over the world or, or pray that, that he would change people's hearts and make sin go away and, and that, that, that he would cause the elders of our church to be properly used for the proclamation of the word, that he would be working in the hearts of the Sunday school teachers as they're ministering there. And in every ministry that's here, we'd be praying because we believe that, that we cannot do it by ourselves and that we're dependent upon him, so we need to pray. And it's possible for us to have all of the right theology and yet not be doing it at all or not be doing it nearly properly as we ought to. It is possible for us to know something and because we know it, we think that we're doing it, but we're not. And I think God would say to us, wake up. Wake up. What does he say in his word? In our passage here, it says, and do this. Knowing the time. That now it is high time to awake out of sleep. It's an incredible sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards entitled The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. The Preciousness of Time and the Importance of Redeeming It. Time is precious. He goes through from there and gives a number of different reasons why it's precious. Well, one being that time matters. I mean, where we spend eternity is affected by, during this particular time, by faith, are we trusting in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for our salvation? How many people are currently in the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where the fire isn't quenched, where the worm cannot die, blackest darkness. Thinking of all of the times in which they heard the gospel throughout the duration of their lives. Wishing so badly they could just go back and do things differently. And I don't know in the deadness of their sins whether they would do that, but I know that in the midst of the judgment at which they are under, they would do anything to even have someone dip their finger in some water and stick it on their tongue. Time's precious because it's short. It's very short. See in Scripture, it tells us our life, what is it? It's a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Time's precious because it's short. Uh, I think of like, you know, I got, I got a six-year-old and I have a three-year-old. And yet, thinking of my age and, and just thinking, okay, so, like I was well into college when my dad was my age. And I thought he was really old. <laughs> And some of you are here saying, and he was. Some of you are saying, no, not at all. But 
It goes by so fast, doesn't it? Time is, is short. You, you talk with Pastor Bill Acton, if you could spend some time with him, he, he'll say, it, it went by like that. I mean, it, he's 92, is that right? 92 years old, and, and he says, in my mind, I'm still in my 30s. But it goes by so fast. Time is, is precious because it's very short. Edwards also say, time ought to be esteemed by us very precious because we're uncertain of its continuance. We know that it's very short, but we know not how short. I mean, you, the time that we have here on earth, we, we should find it to be precious because you don't know how long it's going to continue. We, we, we don't know what the next steps are for us. It, it, it may be that you look and say, but I'm, I'm just a youth. And yet you don't know the length of time that you have here on earth. You, you may be at a place where you, you're coming to years that are retirement age years. And yet you don't, you don't know. You don't, you don't know what the next day has for you. Time is precious because you're uncertain of its continuance. I think of Edwards and his resolutions that he wrote just as a, a teenager, and, and he's saying things like, resolve n- never to do something that I'd be afraid to do if it was the last day of my life. What happens when people think like that? I don't, I, if I wasn't going to do this, if it was the last day of my life, should I do it now? And just that, that, that realization that time is, is precious because you don't know how much time you have. Edwards also say time is very precious because when it's past, it cannot be recovered. It's gone. Once it goes away, it can't be recovered. He starts talking about Reflections on time past saying how much may be done in a year. How much good is there opportunity to do in such a space of time? How much service may persons do for God? How much for their own souls? How much might be done in a day? But what have you done in so many days and years that you have lived? What have you done with the the whole time of your youth, you that are past your youth, what has become of all that precious season of life has not all been in vain to you? You've had much time of leisure and freedom from worldly business. Consider to what purpose you've spent it. You have not only had ordinary time, but you've had a great deal of holy time what have you done with all of the Sabbath days in which you've enjoyed? Consider those things seriously and let your conscience make answer. I, I find this to be just powerful when you start looking at it. What, what do you do with your time? How much can take place in a day? 
Much less how much could take place in a year. I think of this particular time of year, and I think about it a lot because it's, it's, it's going into the new year, and I, I, I look ahead as far as, okay, what would I have done differently this year? If I had to do it all over again, what would I do differently? I don't want to do that again next year. And so evaluating and looking at it, but there's, there's 365 days in a year, and a lot can be done in simply one day. Are we using the days that we have for the most to God's glory? He says there's, there's several people who reprove of, of this doctrine, of, of, of thinking this way. There's several people that, that look at texts like this as far as and do this, knowing the time that, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And in their minds, it's, I don't want to wake up out of sleep. You know what it's like when the alarm goes off. And, and you're laying there, and it's a little chilly in your room, and you have a big blanket on you, and you're tired, and you just think, I don't want to get up. We dealt with that in the first several months of marriage. Tasha's home, because Jonathan has a cough, but feel like I have freedom to talk about her then. Um, I'm just kidding. I'll be gracious. But there was a struggle that we had because in the first part of our marriage, her alarm would go off and she'd push the snooze button and go, but this would happen like four or five times, sometimes three, sometimes two, but usually more than that. And I'm like, sweetheart, why like, why do you set your alarm so early if you have an extra 30 minutes? And she says, because I don't want to just have to get out of bed. I'm like, yeah, but the 30 minutes, it is miserable. Just enjoy the 30 minutes and then wake up and get out of bed, you know, and you'll be so refreshed. You got an extra 30 minutes. And um, I think we've compromised to like one or two snooze buttons at this particular time. But you're in bed just going, I don't want to get up. And when you start looking at these things, there's times for us where we're in a place of, I don't, I don't want to change. I'm comfortable. I got my comforters on me. It's exactly where I want to be. I don't want to change. I don't, I don't want to change here. And yet the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart this morning saying, awake. It's time. The text says, for now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. You became a Christian at whatever age you were. And the time in which you go home to be with Christ is nearer. The time in which Christ comes for his church is nearer. The time in which we will enter into eternity in heaven is nearer than when you first believed. And so that's one of the motivations here that the Holy Spirit gives Wake up, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Wake up. There's those that do not want to to think on these things because they enjoy their time of idleness so much. Just idleness. Doing nothing. 
and yet that is not to the most of God's glory. That's not to the most of our good. It's not for the good of our souls. It's not for the good of our neighbor. It's not to the good of our family, and it's not to the good of our church, and it's not to the good of the gospel going forward to the uttermost parts of this world. For us to be idle when there is so much that can take place in a day. There's others that Edwards talks about who reprove of this doctrine because they spend their time in wickedness. They don't merely spend the time in doing nothing to any good purpose, he says, but they spend it to ill purposes. Such do not only lose their time, but they do worse. With it, they hurt both themselves and others. It's not just idleness, but there is wickedness that is there in your life, and it doesn't just affect you, but it affects others as well. You're not just losing time, but you're using the time in a way that is to no benefit at all. Rather, it brings reproach upon the name of Christ. And God would call upon you to repent. To repent. To look and to, to see the way that I talk to them is not right. The way that I talk to my kids, the way I talk to my spouse, the way I am with my employees, the way that I am with my neighbor, the things that I do on the weekends, who I hang out with, who I fellowship with, I'm indistinguishable from the world as far as how the world behaves. They don't see any difference between how they behave versus how I behave. And you'll find that straight across the board with so many people within the church today where they're indistinguishable from the world. They look like the world. They act like the world. They do the same things that the world does. Where you had, in the time of, of our country in the beginning, you have what was known as the book titled The Scarlet Letter, in which this is sin. Let's put a letter on her shirt so everybody can see it, which obviously is not the right thing to do. But we live in a time now where it's just do whatever you would desire to do. Do whatever is right in your own eyes. Here in our text, we're told the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The day is at hand. Cast off the works of darkness. Wake up. You look just like the world. Wake up. You've been redeemed by Christ. You've been purchased by him. He's clothed you with robes of righteousness. He's adopted you into his family. He's made you his bride. He's given you the Holy Spirit and he convicts you of sin and he's given you a way of escape. He's given you the church body around you to encourage you. He's given you his word to teach you and to exhort you. Wake up. Don't act like the world. Don't be like the world. Be different from the world. The time is, is now. Edwards in his sermon says, how are our way to, or how, how are we to improve our time here? He begins by saying, number one, know that you're accountable to God for your time. Just the way that you use your time, you're accountable to him for your time. 
In the same way that a slave is accountable to his master for his time, likewise, Christ is your master and you are accountable to him for your time. How do you use your time? If, if we're dealt with for every idle word, how much more for our idle time that we spend? Are we using our time for the purpose of God in his exaltation, in his glory, and for the sake of the gospel, and the sake of the building up of the saints, and for the sake of raising our children in the ways of the Lord, and washing our wives with the water of God's word, and being an encouragement to other, and being a blessing to one another, and causing people to have a bigger view of God than before, and magnifying him in every part of our lives. Is that the heart of where we are at, or is there just wickedness and idleness that's there with us where, in which we, we, we just pitter out little pieces of light? but we are not using the time. Well, no, you're accountable to God for your time. The second thing he says is, in relation to improving our time, is consider how much time already has been lost. Consider how much time has already been lost. How many days, months, years, decades have been lost for the sake of what we look here in the text, the works of darkness, or Revelry and drunkenness, partying, acting just like the world, drunkenness, lewdness, lust, doing the things that the world does, not and being a place of strife and envy in these things. God here in the text says, let us walk properly as in the day, not doing the things that you were doing in the night before. Be different. You've already wasted enough time in the things of the world. You've wasted enough time. By God's grace, we pray that the Holy Spirit would, would convict hearts this morning, my own heart as well, and look and say, how can it be used better? In which ways can our time be used better and for the glory of God and not just immersing ourselves in the things of this world? Think of how much time you've already lost. Consider how time is sometimes valued by those who come near to the end of it. Those who come towards the end of their lives, it, it, their lives become, just the minutes become far more valuable to them. Think of Tasha's dad. He passed away about 10 years ago from, from cancer. Um, he wasn't a believer for the vast majority of his life. And he sent the kids to Christian schools. Um, He would encourage his wife, Tasha's mom, to take the kids to church on Sundays, but he never went. And then he got cancer. And God radically changed his life. He, He preached the gospel to everybody he could possibly preach the gospel to. There's one man who is a friend of mine I grew up with, and he just he came to me in tears, and he's like, Tasha's dad, John, is the one in whom preached the gospel to me, and I got saved. And I was looking, I think, like, he saw the last days of his life as precious and used it for God's glory. And yet sometimes we live our lives and we don't think about how precious it is. Consider... Number four, what a value we may conclude to set upon time by those who are past the end of it. Um, 
What thoughts do you think they have of its preciousness, those who have lost all opportunity for obtaining eternal life and are gone to hell? How precious would time be to them? Then he goes through advice on how to improve our time. And he begins by number one, improve the present time without any delay. Don't wait any longer. Don't wait any longer. Repent. Depend upon God. Depend upon God to depend upon God to say, God, (laughs) help me to, to, to be a blessing to those that are around me. Help me to lead my home properly. Help me to love my wife properly. Help me to repent of sins that I need to repent to my wife or to my kids. Help me to, to lead them in a way that is proper, that's proper. Don't delay, do it, it now. Help me be a godly person at work. Help me minister to those that are around me. Help me to use my resources for the purpose of God's glory, for eternal things. He says, be especially careful to improve those parts of time which are most precious. Though all time is very precious, yet some parts are more precious than others, as particularly holy time is more precious than common time. Such time is of great advantage for our everlasting welfare. Therefore, above all, improve your Sabbaths, and especially the time of public worship, which is the most precious part. Lose it not either in sleep or in carelessness or inattention or wandering imaginations. Make this a precious time to be here, to say, God, speak to me when I come to church on Sunday and help me be the blessing to those that are around me and show me my sin and change me and enable me to walk and, and, and help me as I'm there on midweek to just follow you and to learn more about you and to have a passion for you and to worship you with all that is within me. And when I'm in my car and when I'm at my home and when I'm reading devotions to my kids, make it so that those times are the most precious times. They use it and see it as those that are most precious. It's important that we see that. Knowing that there's precious times and they go by quickly. I have a precious time that I get to have with Jonathan. Um, when we use our time wisely and I get, to him, I get him to school on time, um, all of the kids, they all line up in their lines and they're all playing at first and then a bell rings and then all the kids run and they're get in each of their lines, but he's in kindergarten, and so right now, when we get there early, he stays right by me, and then he goes, and he sits on the curb and says, Daddy, you want to sit with me? And so I sit with him, and he usually initiates it. What do you want to talk about today? And so we sit. All the kids are playing, and we sit, and we talk. And we just sit there, just every other kid, all his friends, they're all playing. He just sits and, and talks with me. I love this. I, I love it. We talk about all kinds of things. There will come a day where he will not want to do that anymore. Where he'll be like, Dad, can you drop me off over here? <laughs> I used to drop my sister. My sister, Melissa, is eight years younger than me, so I used to drop her off at school. And that's how I drop her off. It always came with, bye, Melissa. Have a great day. Take copious notes. Make wise decisions. Stay away from the boys. They're bad. And Melissa would just walk, like, pretend like she didn't know us. If you know Melissa, you hear Melissa? Good, you're not. Um, 
it should have come. Um, she can handle it. Still to this day, if we go out to eat, when the waiter comes up, she puts some food on her front tooth and just starts talking to him. <laughs> just to see how awkward she can make him feel. good sense of humor but there will come a day where he will not want to sit next to me Um, there will come a day where kids grow up Um, we need to look at our lives at this point and say forget the things which are behind and press on to the things which are ahead how can I be now to those who are in my family to those who are in my church, those who are my neighbor, my extended family, using the time well, using it well for the purpose of God's glory. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Why would he say that? to the church because it is possible for the church to live in parties just like the world. It is possible for the church to live in drunkenness just like the world. It's possible for us to live in lewdness and lust and strife and envy. But the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, Let us walk properly, not in those things. Let's not act like the world. Let's not be like the world. Let's walk as we abide in him. Let's walk through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in a way in which we forsake all of those things and cling to Christ. Let's walk in such a way that we look at the things of the world and we just look at it as just junk in comparison to the banquet tables of God's glory and the things that he calls us to and just feast upon those things and not on the things of this world. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ What would God call us to do? Praying in the morning, God, enable me just to be a light, to be different, to hate sin, to pursue righteousness. Help me to follow you. Help me to to look for opportunities in which you have opened up doors for the gospel to go forward. Help me to, to use my resources properly. Help me to be a leader in my home. Help me to love my husband properly. Help me to minister to my kids properly. Help me to be a child who looks and says, I've got these high school years and may they be, may they be, Precious, may I not spend this time fighting with my parents, but spend this time enjoying them and glorifying Christ with them rather than being the typical adolescent who rebels. Let's not do that, but let's walk with Christ and obey him and be a blessing to them. Let's be different. Let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Don't even make any provision for the flesh to do the things that the flesh desires to do, but rather put on Christ and be different. And so we approach the new year, and may God help us to do that. This particular text is famous, verses 13 and 14, because these are 
this is the particular text that just radically changed St. Augustine's life. It was these verses. These verses in which this man who had achieved everything academically and come from a home in which one of his parents was a believer, his mom and his dad was an unbeliever, and he pursued all of the things intellectually and got to the highest ranks of respect within Rome and had studied in North Africa and had learned all of these things. And now he comes to a place of having everything and finding himself still to be so empty. And he's there and, and And these are his words. I flung myself down how I know not under a certain fig tree, giving free course to my tears. And and not indeed in in these words, yet to this effect spoke as much unto thee. But thou, O Lord, how long? How long, O Lord, will thou be be angry forever? O remember not against us former iniquities, for I have felt that I was enthralled by them. Why not now? Why is there not this hour an end to my uncleanness? And and she said that as I was saying these things and weeping and, and the most bitter contrition of my heart when, lo, I heard the voice of a boy or a girl, I don't know which, coming from a neighboring house, chanting and often repeating, saying, take up and read, take up and read. Immediately my countenance was changed. I be, began most earnestly to consider whether it was usual for, a chi- for children in any kind of game to sing such words. Take up and read, take up and read. So I... I, I so restraining the, the torrent of my tears, I rose up, interpreting it no other way than as a command to me from heaven to open the book and to read the first chapter as I should light upon. And I says, actually coming, whilst the gospel was being read, he received admonition as if he was to read this that was addressed to him. Um, he's talking about a man named Antony. Go and sell all that thou has and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And by such oracle was he forthwith converted unto thee. So quickly, he says, I returned to the place where Olypius was sitting, for there I had put down the volume of the apostles. When I rose thence, I grasped, opened, and in silence read the paragraph on which my eyes first fell. So this is what he did. Picked up the Bible, go after hearing take up and read, take up and read, and his eyes fell upon these words. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And it just radically changed his life. Radically changed the life of one of our early church fathers there living in the 300s. Pray that this would radically change lives here this morning. Reverence Bible Church, let us walk properly. As in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill its loss. Amen. May there be a great, great awakening in our hearts. A great awakening in our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are dependent upon you for such things. 
to see our time as precious. To see that the day has come. To no longer act like we did in the night in darkness, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely there's people here who are just been sleeping. Just like Jonah was sleeping there in the ship. Storms have come all around. We need to be awakened. To tell others who our God is. That they might be saved just as you did with those in the boat with Jonah. There's those that have been called upon to pray. Just as the disciples were told to watch and pray and yet they have fallen asleep. Maybe we wake up and maybe we pray. May we use the gifts that you have given us for the furtherance of the gospel and for your glory and for the building of the saints and for leading our families properly and loving our wives properly and using our singleness for the purpose of being most to your glory, using everything that you have entrusted us, our bodies, our mouths, our energy, and the most precious time in which you have given us for the sake of your glory. 2013 was a time of, of sleeping. May 2014 be a time of great awakening, which revival takes place in our hearts and in the hearts of those that are around us as your Holy Spirit works mightily in us and through us. We depend upon you, Lord Jesus. We depend upon you to even depend upon you. We love the gospel. So thankful that you've taken those who were dead in their sins and trespasses and you've made us alive in Christ as a result of what you accomplished on the cross for us by taking our sins upon yourself and giving us your righteousness and giving us your Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to change us and to mold us and to shape us into your image. Lord, our salvation, all of it belongs unto you and we praise you for that. Let us now walk properly. Let us walk properly as in the day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.